Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. Hello and welcome to the following on podcast from Talk Sports. I'm John Norman, still in Cape Town for another, well, just shy of 24 hours uh, before the remainder of the Talk Sport team head to Port Elizabeth. Uh, Andrew McKenna has arrived, though, straight from Heathrow. Uh, microphone in hand, he stepped off the plane uh, onto another one because he landed in Johannesburg. Uh, got to Port Elizabeth uh, late last night, was ready, raring to go, and he's caught up with England's wicketkeeper and bad boy, of Test Cricket, Joss Butler. Back at it now. Paul Collingwood started the session with a beast of a uh, fielding drill for you. Was that a case of, right, you've had a couple of days down, now you get back at it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, Collingwood, a lot of energy to, to fielding this morning. I think it's been re- really good and beneficial for the guys to have a few days off. Everyone's really enjoyed it. Um, and obviously, you know, it gives a, a nice when you have a great Test match like that to have some time to let it sink in and, and think about it and enjoy it. And obviously, we turned up here full of confidence and raring to go. And uh, yeah, that's blew a few cobwebs away if there were any from a couple of days uh, off. You mentioned about sort of having that sort of I guess mental time actually down from Cape Town. Sometimes when you win a game like that you probably want to get straight into the next one to keep the momentum going. Did it feel that actually no we, we just need a couple of seconds just to just settle ourselves here? I think it work, can work both ways, really. You know, you can fly into another game and sort of ride off the back of it. But uh, I think one of the great things about games like that, which seem very special and are hard fought for five days, um, when you actually get a chance to um, have a couple of days to reflect on it and enjoy it um, and uh, really sort of take it in and, of what was a fantastic test match. Um, you know, I think a lot of the time in professional sport, you are on to the next game and it gets forgotten very quickly and, and you're straight into another one, which... Uh, no, it's, it's no bad thing, but um, certainly when you play in special games, it's very nice to have a bit of time to reflect on them. Well, I can tell you, because I've only just made out it, watching and listening from back home, it was an incredible test match. Do, do you? Will it be one of those that maybe in years to come you'll realise just how special it is when you can actually detach yourself from it? 
Yeah, I think so, certainly. And um, no, such an iconic ground um, and the support we had throughout that week was uh, unbelievable. It felt like a home game a lot of the time. And, and um, you know, for the Barmy Army, I think it was about 40 minutes before tea on that last day when not a lot was really happening and we're trying to create chances there, you know, going non-stop for, for that long. And you know it gives us so much energy on the field. So um, I think certainly in time, it'll be be one of those games where you, um, you, know, you look back probably at the end of your career and go, yeah, it was a great one to be involved in. You mentioned the last day. Obviously, there's been a lot of talk about five-day test matches. A lot of the times we ask you guys questions, you say, oh, we're just players, we, we don't get involved in things. Should this be one of those topics that players do get involved in? I, I saw a statement from the International Players Association saying, well, we're not in favour of it. But actually, is this one of these key points that the opinion of the players matters probably more than an awful lot of other people? Yeah, it certainly does. And I think um, it'd be foolish to not... Um, you know, take in the players' opinions and, and hear about the guys, uh, how we see the game and how we feel that Test cricket is is best preserved. And, and um, you know, I think everyone knows about five-day cricket. It's um, you know, when you get all three results possible on on five, on the fifth day. You know, like that Test match at Newlands. I don't think there's anything that can come close to it really in the game. So that is very special. Um, I think, of course, at times I said before the game, you do have to be open to change um, in the game. And if there is good reasons for it to happen then I think you have to be open to it but uh, I think you know, after that game I think you heard a lot of the players you know just how much everyone loves five day cricket how hard it is um, and when you get a win on the, the last hour on the fifth day there's probably not anything much more satisfying in the game. Obviously since the end of the test match the ICC have asked you to donate to their Christmas party fund for this year. Um, Lots of people have been making comments about whether you know the stump marks should be up or down or, or anything like that. Are players aware of that? Are you conscious coming into to a series where something like that gets said that, OK, right, I've got to be aware of it? Yeah, I think you're certainly aware of it. Um, you know, I've played for a few years now where we know the stunt mics are, are on and, and turned up. Um, you know, I'd like to apologise. I know as a, as a role model, it's not a, a great thing to have come across on the TV and um, you know, a bit out of order. So to, um, you know, hold my hands up there. And um, But yeah, I think the stunt mics, it's an interesting debate, isn't it? Because it obviously adds for the viewership um, of people on TV and, and listening to, to get a bit of insight of, as what goes on. But I think also there is a, um, a sort of cricket code that I think the the players probably quite like it to be to be off and and to, you know doesn't mean that you can then say things that are out of order but it just allows you to you know of course in the heat of the moment or things that you would like to um, stay on the field can stay on the field I was going to ask you because it seemed to be that health wise everything was was going positively it would have been nice to have everyone out but unfortunately Joe Root's not been able to to practice today due to to a stomach bug if you pardon the pun, are you not getting sick of all this illness on this tour? It would just be great to be able to have everyone in, involved in a session, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. It's, um, it's been a bit chaotic, the tour, hasn't it? Um, especially this, the first couple of weeks, and we thought we were probably through it now. But um, obviously the captain uh, isn't feeling too well today. But um, luckily we've got a few days before that first test starts, and uh, he'll have plenty of time to, to get um, his work in and, and before the game. So, But yeah, certainly uh, I haven't been on a tour where there's been so much illness, um, you know, uh, yet than, than this one so um, it's frustrating. Purely precautionary though no concerns over Joe? No no concerns I think it's just uh, as we're trying to stop it spreading as we have been um, throughout the tour and uh, you know as you think when you, someone's ill like that just keep them away from the group. So third test important test match you've got yourself back level obviously a win here means you can't lose the series every test match is important but this feels like a really big one. 
Yeah, it does. And I uh, know it's, it's huge for both teams. It's uh, set up brilliantly, obviously, um, being one more in, in the series and, and coming here with, um, you know, full of confidence for us and, and a lot of guys taking a lot of confidence from performing really well in Cape Town. So, um, no, it's set up really well. It's um, sure to be another great test. Well, we have had uh, plenty of time to reflect and uh, look back on uh, what was a truly wondrous occasion. Uh, thousands of English fans cheering on their team to victory late in the day on day five and uh, how the Barmy Army and the uh, other England fans celebrated and continue to do so. Great to have a little bit of a pause uh, between the second and third Test matches for exactly the reasons Joss Butler uh, stipulated. A chance to look back, uh, to regroup, and also now look forward uh, with Jimmy Anderson out of the series, an opportunity for one of Mark Wood, Chris Wokes or Joffre Archer, you'd imagine, to come back into the team. And uh, we should be hearing uh, from one or maybe uh, two or three of those characters uh, before the third test match gets underway on the 16th of January. Um, For now, though, uh, we will look back rather than forward and uh, to an interesting chat that took place. And it's always interesting when Jarrah Kimber's around uh, between Jarrah Kimber. Uh, surely the greatest leg spinner uh, that Australia ever produced not to play first-class cricket and uh, a man who definitely did play first-class cricket, uh, the former spinner, the frog in the blender, Paul Adams. I have a Paul Adams who is an extraordinary player for many reasons. One, because he bowled left-arm wrist spin and of the last 10 years, here's a good stat for you, Paul, the last 10 years of every 200 balls bowled in test match cricket, one ball is bowled by left-arm wrist spinner. So they're an incredibly rare breed, but you are even more of a rare breed. I'm just going to go through for a second and try and explain your uh, your run-up and then your delivery stride. You came in with like a conventional spinner. Uh, you leapt up at the crease, you had two arms went up, and then your front arm went up. Up until that point, looks like you're going to bowl left arm finger spin rather than left arm wrist spin. Everything looks completely normal. And then suddenly your right arm drops down and almost touches the ground. Uh, your head goes with it. Your head at the end is almost at your hip. I don't know where it's looking. It, it's like you're checking It's like you're checking. there's something in your pocket at that point. Uh, your arm, your left arm then comes over the back. It's bent, not chucking. Just point that out. It's not straightening, but it's bent because you're basically bowling behind yourself. It's like someone else is actually operating your arm. Uh, and then out comes excellent left arm wrist spin you you took 134 wickets in test cricket at 32 second highest uh, wickets ever for our south african spinner the most since uh, readmission uh, it was obviously it was it's kind of like watching a hunchback kicking a dog uh, while bowling behind his back uh, mike gadding called it uh, frog in a blender and our pr- young uh, assistant producer sam i just showed him uh, the delivery and he asked if it was a joke first question is how did you end up bowling like that Good afternoon. Yeah, it's, uh, that was an in- interesting description. Um, yeah, I've just just happened to be natural. So I picked up the ball in the backyard with playing cricket and with my family and that. And uh, I never knew until I was 16, actually, how I bowled. My brother picked up the camcorder at a club cricket game and recorded me. And I went, wow, no wonder all the batsmen look confused. <laughs> I mean, it, it was it was for a little while in Test cricket. You, I mean, you were a, a real mystery bowler, and it wasn't that you were bowling anything that hadn't been bowled before. Left arm wrist spin had existed before. There'd been a few, you know, not a lot of huge wicket takers. But because of your action, it seemed that quite early on, people just had trouble telling which way you were spinning the ball. 
Yeah, I grew up in uh, Grassy Park in, in Cape Town, and so what happened was I used to always emulate bowling fast, actually, with that exact same action. But uh, someone one day at, at a cricket game told me, come here, boy, and uh, just put all three fingers on the ball and just bowl slower. And was spin, and then slowly I developed it, and Shane Horn came on the scene, and I saw he bowled, turned the ball away from the cricket, from a right-hand bat, and I thought that could be interesting, and playing in the backyard with a tennis ball, developed my two-finger grip, which I think there's a few wrist spinners in the world using it now as their googlies in Rashid Khan. Uh, I know Anil Kumble as well used the two-finger grip towards to bowl a googly. I think um, Abdul Qadir used to call it the finger wrongen, didn't he? So it's a slightly different wrongen or googly than, than other players have. Yeah, very different, and, and it's one that's just developed by myself. Uh, I never had books, there were no videos, or, or YouTube that you can get on now and, and see all these clips about variations and stuff. So we were just learning our trade by ourselves, and, and that's probably how I developed to get control of it. Um, just played and, 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 and always just bamboozling cricketers, and that's why I enjoyed the art of bowling spin, is that these batsmen just couldn't pick me. So played... Went through the school cricket, great cricket year, played the school cricket, and then at 18, got picked for Western Province, and all of a sudden, played against the England side uh, for South Africa A, picked up wickets, and three first-class games later, I was playing on the 26th of uh, December in a test match. I think at the time, you were the youngest um, South African cricketer, is that right? Yeah, I was 18 years old when I when I uh, made my debut. And, and so... It, it was obviously very quick for you, but when you were coming through the ranks, how much do you think it was the, the interesting action at that time that, that sort of that propelled you rather than... Because it wasn't like South Africa was looking for spinners at that time, were they? Yeah, there was a period where they just had the orthodox spinners just holding up a game and all of a sudden I hit the scene of something different and had a bag of wickets and, and uh, that's what created something interesting for South Africa to be, pick, to be picked in that team. Because we're very normally conservative um, in terms of uh, mindset and thinking about the game. So for me to burst on the scene was something really new. And, and just right time, right moment um, was a time of uh, unity within South Africa as well. And so a player of colour coming through, a young new generation player, really inspired a lot of youth within the, the game. Only as an older guy now, I look back and you think, wow, that was a key moment within South Africa and, and what it meant to a lot of people as I've met throughout these years. And, and you, you had great success early on. Uh, I think for a long time you had one of the best records of any modern-day spinner in India. Um, it, you know, and at that point you still weren't being picked, so you were still a mystery spinner. And then you sort of went to the next phase of your career when batsmen started to, to work you out a little bit more. If, you know, I, if I remember, I think your, your wrong and went up a little bit higher and your leg spinner was a little bit flatter. That period, you know, ex explain what happens then when, when you're no longer the, the young person that everyone's confused by. Because your action became normal to, to international cricketers, didn't it? Yeah, they sort of uh, picked out and worked out which way the ball is going instead of watching all the distractions of what's going on. So I'd had to work on a good control, get a lot more balls in the area and, and different strategies as well. So, yeah, I played a period. I retired away from cricket in 2008 where I should have maybe regenerated myself and stopped playing T20 cricket. <laughs> I just missed that era. <laughs> well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because uh, Brad Hogg, not long after that, did, did a similar thing, and he was a far more orthodox bowler than you. Um, you were a right-hand batsman? Do I remember that correctly? Um, how did you become a left-arm bowler? 
Yeah, it's, it's oh, just natural. Um, I think just watching TV, you, you know, when you're a young kid, you just pick up a cricket bat and you do whatever's natural to you. And uh, and that's that natural flair. And I love playing shots. And if we think back to that 95, 96 series, uh, playing a game here at Newlands, New Year's Test match, uh, put on a great partnership with Dave Richardson. I think Darren Goff played as well in that, but Devin Malcolm was trying to take my head off. <laughs> we kept playing the ball over the ground, but it was, well, yeah, good fun. I always enjoyed batting. And, and so, so you said that someone else um, suggested that you take up spin. It's not something that most younger, well, it's not something that is encouraged as much in South Africa, it, you know, it, at test level. You don't. You, you, I think it's 2.8 wickets a game. Um, South Africa has taken since readmission, um, and whereas every, everyone else in the world takes about 5.4 wickets a game, and that's not just Asia. That's Australia and New Zealand, where it doesn't spin anything, you know, any more than it does here. Why do you think it is um, in South African cricket that the spinner is the sort of the backup option? Yeah, I think it's conditions within South Africa. I think any touring spinner that's come here also hasn't been that successful. It's it's quite a tough place to to bowl spin. Um, even the subcontinent spinners, they come here and they look for a lot of side spin on a ball, where in South African conditions, you should bowl with a lot more overspin, like your Lions, um, and, and that's so your overspin plays a big role, you get bounced. So that's been part of my uh, sort of strategy within coaching now over the past 11, 12 years, and uh, been working within South African Cricket South Africa set up as a spin bowling consultant as well. So it's it's been really good, um, transferring knowledge, different mindsets, thinking, all of those things. And that's what I've been trying to do as a coach, uh, or coaches as well, um, in thinking of what means and ways to, to get wickets within South African conditions. And, and as a spinner, you know, being based over here, were there times when you just, you know, weren't, you, you were playing in the game but weren't bowling at all? Is that something that you sort of had to get used to as a South African spinner? Yeah, it's the South African way, either just before break, lunchtime, tea time. But uh, when you get the ball, you got to make it count. And that's the pressure you're always on um, as a South African spinner. And one of the key things, in, you feel that you need to be taking wickets. But the key moment with, is where do you fit within your team? Um, like, you've got to try and keep the run rate down, keep it quiet get sometimes into the rough because the big fast bowlers that, that always create there and, and try and develop the art of taking wickets doing those things, bowling over the wicket um, and those are, are the little intricacies that, that only happen when you play the longer format of the game. So in South Africa or in world cricket at the moment, a lot of cricket has been focused on T20 cricket, the kids love it, it's out there and uh, 50 over cricket. So our club cricket uh, and school cricket is based a lot on that short format so the art of spin, you've got to find moments or key times where you're going to really develop them. And, and that can only happen as they get older and, and have that control. Plenty more of uh, that kind of interview throughout the rest of the series. Kimber's Corner uh, will be a regular part of the tea break moving forward. Uh, but for now, that's pretty much all we've got time for. Thanks for listening. So please subscribe and review on Acast, iTunes or Spotify. Uh, you've been listening to the following on podcast and we will be bringing you a fresh edition every single day of the South Africa series here from the Talk Sports family. But for now, that's it. And uh, next time we speak, it will be from Port Elizabeth. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. 
with eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final. You can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you're keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 